The seventh commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Do I cheat or otherwise seek to get what I have not earned? Do I take care of what I have, pay what I owe, return what I borrow, and respect other people's property? Do I give generously, or am I selfish, stingy, and greedy with my time and money? Am I unfaithful to the responsibilities of my vocation? Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. These Ten Commandments uh, are focused for the fall before we turn to the creed as we get closer to Christmas. Continue to bring the Lord's word of truth to us. Notice two things that perhaps bear pointing out that are a part of all of the meanings of the commandments two through ten as they cycle back to number one. Remember the the meaning for the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. The meaning was we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. After that, in 2 through 10, Luther alludes to that meaning at the beginning of each of the meanings of the, uh, the following commandments. We should fear and love God so that we A, B, and C. We should fear and love God. We should adhere to the first commandment. For the sake of all of the rest of them as well, they cycle back, they link in back to number one. Because if the Lord is the Lord and he is God, if Christ is king, then, well, stealing will have no, no place in, in our lives. Uh, another thing to note in these meanings of these commandments is it's not just about what not to do. And I've alluded to this also in the preaching for these commandments, but it's also wisdom about what to do. And the seventh commandment is no uh, different in that regard. There are things not to do. We are not to take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way. Note, note it didn't say uh, don't take it in any uh, illegal way. Right? The, the, the measure of good in the mind of the Lord is larger and higher and more expansive than just what happens to be recorded in, uh, in civil law. That's a given, but there are also plenty of things that might be legal, but may not be but may be dishonest. Right? Just because it's not illegal doesn't make it honest. That's another aspect of the Lord's law as opposed to different from man's law. We're going to have that also in the, uh, in the commandment against taking our uh, neighbor's house, that uh, includes inheritance in Luther's explanation, or getting it in any seemingly straightforward way, but is actually immoral. Right? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Uh, so one of those things that sometimes runs the seventh commandment as a higher standard. But I do want to point out, again, some examples of the, the positive ways that this commandment provides for us. Help 
your neighbor to improve and protect his possessions and income. That's the positive part of it. Now, a lot of times in Lutheran preaching, accountants get a real bad rap. Accountants get a bad rap in Lutheran preaching because we always talk about how God has stopped counting up our sins against him. It's not as though there's some big file cabinet somewhere with all your bad stuff is going to be there against you when it comes to uh, coming to the throne room of God, or, or even worse, kind of in all the popular jokes about going to heaven and then being met by St. Peter at the gates and then suddenly confronted with this fantastically huge file cabinet of all your stuff and going through it all with him to see whether or not one side of the ledger matches up with the other side of the ledger. And that's just not, it's just not what scripture says. What he, what scripture says is that God has died to all of that when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood and he's bled all over those file cabinets and then drowned them all in the waters of holy baptism so that that's not the uh, it's not the way of all of that anymore the lord is not sitting up there in heaven keeping track of all of those things the way an accountant would in a big ledger book on the other hand the lady who helps me do my taxes now is someone who I have grown to appreciate and, dare I say, um, love in a way very different from my wife, of course. But, but Carrie Duesenberg has saved me a ton of money because I was doing my own taxes up until arriving in St. Louis seven years ago. And I heard about Carrie from one of the other seminary students and, and uh, she's, a, she's an, a, a CPA and accountant and does taxes for pastors because pastors have crazy laws associated with them. And she's, one of the, she's a treasurer for one of our parochial schools up in St. Louis and she knows what she's doing. In fact, her husband works for the benefit plan that handles our, my health insurance as well. So they're all kind of in cahoots on all this kind of stuff. So I heard about Carrie when I first got to the seminary and, and she said, well, bring me, bring me what you've done. So I, I brought in what I've done as I suppose a lot of you do, you kind of do it yourself a little bit and then take it to somebody to check it over. And she looked at what I had done and she said, um, have you been doing it this way all the time? And I said, yeah, I guess I thought that's how I was supposed to do it, doing kind of doing my best. And if any of you have spent time trying to do your taxes, there is all kinds of, well, there's all kinds of laws. They write these things down in big, big books. That's where the wild cards are. They're at the IRS. They're not in heaven. They're over there. That's where the file cabinets are. So they've got all this stuff written down and you're supposed to try to sort your way through it and all the software programs and everything else. But then when it says things like, do you qualify for this little niche thing over here? That fear factor jumps right up. Like, well, if I say yes and I'm wrong, right? Who's gonna come knocking at my door in May? 
and say, where's my money? Right? So, you know, I stay away from all those. And, and Carrie looked at all that and she said, well, you, you know, Pastor, you really have been leaving a whole lot of money on the table. Because you legitimately can say to the government that you have been taking care of your own children and raising them and, and paying for them. And the government thanks you for that with various kinds of credits because they don't have to take care of your children because you're doing it. And so it's, it's okay to say yes to some of these things. And by, by the way, you, you haven't taken all of the deductions that you're qualified for and you haven't taken all the business expenses that you're qualified for. And all of these things are there and, but there's that fear, right? There's that fear. And even after hitting the send button on the H&R Block software program in January, do you rest easy at night imagining that it's all fine? Because I sure didn't. Because I didn't know. Now, I know a lot of things, but that's not one of them. Well, so she said, what you really want me to do is you want me to refile this year. Do you want me to go back and refile the last three years? <laughs> really? Yeah, you really do. In fact, if I could go back through the rest, last 10 years, I would, but I can only legally go back three years and file amendments and returns. Carrie saved me from having to take out any loans for my PhD program. Because the money that I had left on the table came back to me and I was able to pay for that schooling as well as to send my daughters to a, a study trip for a summertime and to create a few memories along the way and to not be afraid anymore. Now, January comes, and Cheryl gives me all the paperwork I need, and I just hand it to Carrie. And I'm done. And I sleep like a baby. Whereas for a third of my life, literally a third of my life, from, from January to April, and for a few Weeks after that, to see whether some bill was going to come or, or something was going to happen or somebody was going to show up at my door and say, show me your receipts. I would not sleep. Not well. Now, I know exactly what to do. Hand it to Carrie and be done. And she writes up the report and says, this is what you owe. And I say, thank you very much because I don't have as many kids at home anymore. But this is the seventh commandment at work, right? She's helping me protect and secure and expand my legitimate income because she knows the rules and I don't. And I have to, at some point, humbly admit that there are some things that I do know, but that's not one of them. Same way about my house. I know it's got four walls. I kind of think I know where the air filter is, but Heidi usually takes care of that too. 
I'm just not there very often, which is a problem in and of itself, but that's a different problem. But usually, I'm not the guy you want working on your car, and I'm not the one you want working on some repair at your house. I can maybe move a cabinet here or there or try to lift something, although that's challenging as the years goes on too, but I'm certainly willing to try. But there are things that I know and there are just things that I don't. I didn't have one of those handy dads. I had a pastor dad. <laughs> so I, I think he taught me just about everything he knew and they sent me a whole bunch of stuff by the end of his life. And I, half of the books I've got in my library are got his signature on them on, on top of mine. But I just didn't learn all that stuff. And there are things that I need help with that way. But, but God is gracious in that he surrounds me with people with some know-how and surrounds me with people who can help. And I, I need to be humbly receptive to know that that's exactly how we work together. Now, for those of you for whom all that kind of stuff is second nature, it may be very frustrating to deal with people who don't know those things. Just like it's sometimes frustrating to talk to other pastors who don't know their right hand from their left when it comes to things about Jesus. But patience comes in all kinds of categories too, doesn't it? Now, we are called to recognize the good gifts that we have been given. And all of us have been given different aspects of those good gifts. I'm sure, I'm sure among all of us here, none of our 1040 forms look exactly the same. There's all kinds of gifts that God provides to all of his people at various stages of their life and, and, in, and in various situations of life teaching us patience and teaching us generosity, teaching us humility and teaching us to rely on him and to trust in him. He did this with the people of Israel from day one when he called them out of Egypt. He said, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach you to trust me day by day. The way I'm going to teach you to trust me day by day is every day the man is going to fall and on the day before the Sabbath, you get two days worth of man. And I'm going to teach you through that exercise for the next many, many years, that you're going to be able to trust me day by day. Because if you trust me day by day, then maybe when I tell you that something is going to happen a little bit further down the line, that you'll trust that too. And when I say to you, when I say to you, I forgive you all your sins in the name of my son Jesus because of what he has done, maybe you'll trust me there too. If you trust me day by day with the basics of life, if you find me trustworthy, then you'll know that, that I can be counted on for the spiritual things in life. This was quite a big deal once they got to the edge of the promised land as well, because, because religion, spiritual life, religious life in Canaan, among the Canaanites, was all based on money. Really? It was all based on money. At least it was based on the, the idea of how can we be sure that we're going to be able to live? How are we going to be able to take care of the daily needs of life? And so they would worship gods, Baal and Asherah and all the 
false gods around with the idea that if we do the right things, if we keep them happy, then they will send the rain and they will make the crops grow and we'll have enough to eat, we'll have enough to live on, we'll have enough to even perhaps trade with our neighbors and have a little surplus. And God knew that that was going to be a temptation for his people. He knew that when they went into Canaan, they would talk to their neighbors and they would find out about growing things in that particular neck of the woods and they would find out how they were taken care of and, and they would hear from those people in Canaan that it was all dependent on keeping Baal and Asherah happy. And that would be a spiritual temptation, wouldn't it? The things of this life bleed over into the things of the heart and of the mind. And if we grow anxious about our life, it can also lead us to be anxious about whether God is taking care of us or not, whether we can trust that. So even after training them in daily trust for 40 years, there was the concern that as soon as this manna stopped falling, and now it was about these lush gardens and these wonderful crops and the abundance of all that was going to be there in the promised land, that, well, we needed God for the manna, but now look at all this. We've got all this. We don't need God anymore. He doesn't send manna anymore. Now we, now we just have to go to the temple of Baal and worship there, and, and we'll get all these wonderful crops, these wonderful vineyards, all of the things that we need to support our body and life. You see there how the seventh commandment and the provision that God provides in terms of the things of this life leads right over into who is your God. And so God assures them, the Lord assures them over and over and over again, I will take care of you. I will be the one who will make sure that the crops grow. I will be the one who takes care that you have all that you need to support this body and life. I will be there for you. You can trust me. And do not go running after all of these other made-up, fanciful, imaginary gods that don't exist at all. But it was a constant temptation. Now, we don't necessarily call financial gods Baal and Asherah. We might have other names for them, CNBC or whatever. Our brokers or our bankers or whoever they may be. But ultimately, when all things come round, the Lord has promised that He will take care of us in such a way that we should recognize that the things that we are given are for our good and for the benefit and service to our neighbor. And that in trusting, that the Lord God himself is the one who is absolutely taking care of us, that we can hold the things of this world in our hand very, very lightly and very, very loosely. And to allow that there will come times and places and situations in my life where my neighbor is the one who is in need and I am actually part of God's plan for providing for that neighbor as well. 
Now, obviously, then taking something that does not belong to us is outside of an authentic life under the Lord's will and under the Lord's word. We see an example of this too in the uh, the old the old classic book and and more recently the musical Les Misérables. Do you know the story about Jean Valjean? Jean Valjean is there in Paris, and his family is hungry and starving, and he goes and he steals a loaf of bread, and he is caught. And he's caught by uh, Javert, the policeman, the beat cop at the time, and he's put in prison. Put in prison for uh, years, seven years for stealing a loaf of bread. And he tries to escape at one point when he's in prison, and he's given another 13 years. So 20 years altogether for stealing that loaf of bread. He finally is let out. And he wanders the countryside until he comes to a parsonage. He comes to a, a home of a, of, a, of a priest. And he is invited in and he has a meal with the priest. He has become a hardened man at this point. And while after the priest has gone to bed, Jean Valjean looks around at the things there in the priest's house and he takes some of the silverware takes silverware and goblets and he throws them in his bag because it's something that he can definitely hawk for several, several dollars. And he runs away. But again, he's not a good thief. He gets caught. <laughs> Please catch him again. And they recognize the crest on the silverware and they bring him back to the parsonage where the priest lives. And they wake everybody up and they say, do you want to press charges? He's stolen from you. And the priest's response is, Brother Valjean has not stolen these things at all. They were a gift from me to him. And in fact, he forgot to take the candlesticks as well. So the priest hands over the candlesticks. And as he does, he whispers in Valjean's ear, with this, I have redeemed you. Now you belong to the Lord. And that breaks through his heart. He is freed by the police because there is no charge, there are no charges to press. But that generosity now has transformed his life, and he must now be of service to his neighbor. These kinds of gifts and these kinds of reflections of the generous nature of our God is exactly what the positive part of the seventh commandment is all about. It's about being a part of the gift-giving side of the human race about recognizing the abundance of what we have received in the forgiveness of sins, first of all, and also in the fact that we are provided for day in and day out, both by the, the things that we earn and by what we have earned and by the ways that our society here in America has structured itself for common generosity and for also the ways that the the church is called to use its gifts for its generous giving as well. 
all of those things working together, hopefully to make sure that there is enough for all. And yet, as we look over the world, we certainly see that resources are not delivered, not delivered evenly across the world. In my first call to uh, rural Minnesota, uh, that's, that's where I learned the lesson about getting the local news at the cafe, because there wasn't a local paper in the 200, 200 person town in Hollandale either. But those farmers were terribly, terribly smart and terribly, terribly wise. And they watched the news and the markets every single day. And they knew that our land, the gifts of our land here could feed the world. And they lamented regularly about how it was impossible to get what they were able to produce to people who needed it because every time they tried, somebody would steal it. Somebody with a bigger gun or somebody who made it a policy at one time in order to try to starve out all of the poor people in their country so that their average GDP would rise in the statistics of the world. That was, that was the policy of one country that these farmers were trying to send their their produce too, the extra stuff, the stuff that they didn't need to sell to, to pay the bills in one year. So there's ourselves and then there's our communities and then there is these global concerns that continue to lead to conflicts about taking each other's stuff. Feeling secure, not in the hand of the Lord, but in the walls that I can build or in the, the ways that I can make myself feel secure. It can lead to all types of violence, of course, that many of you yourselves have even experienced. But here we are asking from the Lord to live content, to do what is in us to do, to set aside what can be set aside for generous giving in, in the abundance of what the Lord provides for the sake of our neighbor and, and for the sake of the gospel, and to live with our eye also in thankfulness for the, for the abundance of forgiveness that the Lord has showered down upon us. One last very good thing that can be done with funds that sometimes jingle around extra in our pockets. And that is what these mite boxes. Some of the Lutheran charities, Lutheran missions that are uh, accounted for here in these gifts are some of the most efficient and joyful charities to give to because a vast majority of their staffing is done through volunteer work and not by paid workers. Lutheran Women's Missionary League grants and, uh, and Lutheran Hour, Lutheran Layman's League, uh, mission work through uh, Orphan Grain Train and radio ministry and television ministries. So much of this is done through volunteers so that 90 plus, 95 plus percent of all the gifts that are given go directly to the needs that are being supported and not to administration. 
And there are very, very few charities that can say such things. And so we, we have as a point of pride about that. Because it's people who have received from the Lord already and have known his good gifts that then turn around and give of their time and efforts so that we, from wherever we happen to be, can partner with them to provide for more and more good things. All of these are set before us on a regular basis, but today in a special way, that we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Over the course of these next couple of weeks, too, the, uh, the, the rally that will collect all of these mites is going to get together this Saturday, but that's not necessarily the end of it all. We're looking forward to more and more years of ministry together. And so we can be thankful ourselves. And we ask that God would continue to fulfill his promise to hold us in the palm of his hand. Amen. The peace of God that passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen.